Hey, what's going on? And welcome to another episode of This Week in Sports. I'm your host, as always, excuse me, as always, The Pody. It is Friday, November 10th, 2023. It is also Veterans Day, so happy Veterans Day to all of those uh, past and present and currently serving this great nation. Your service does not go unnoticed. And we're back. So, a lot to get into. There was a lot of good college football over the weekend, a lot of good NFL football, and a lot of bad. My New York Jets on Monday night. I waited all week for this game, watched every NFL game on Sunday leading up to this Monday night game, see my... Uh, see my Jets with an opportunity to move up to within half a game of the division lead with a win over the Chargers on Monday night by the sheer fact that the Bengals beat the snot out of the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night football. Not really beat the snot out of, but they, they were in control of that game th thoroughly and through throughout. So um, it, it's just unfortunate We'll get into it a little bit later. It's despicable how they've looked two two weeks in a row now coming off of a bye. It's the same old Jets. Uh, I'm over it, but I, I don't want to digress too much. I, I do want to um, – we're going to start with college football, obviously, but uh, I'm off from work today, so um, that's good. Again, it's Veterans Day, so I want to reiterate that. Thank you to everyone out there serving this country. I laugh when you look at some of these other countries and what's going on with these wars that are happening right now and people say just based on who's president of this country that they don't want to live here well why don't you go live in israel where people were vacationing and people were at a music festival and just being senselessly murdered okay now i bet nobody thought that was going to happen when they went to the music festival or just going about their normal everyday lives so the fact that we live in this great nation with such a great the greatest military power in the world, mind you, and they afford us the freedoms that we have today. They afford me the freedom to do this podcast on a weekly basis. They afford you the freedom to listen to this podcast, to have free will, um, to be able to, you know, this is democracy, to do what you want, okay? So I'm just going to say that. Anybody uh, that wants to kneel for the national anthem next time, maybe just think about that for a second. So anyway. We're going to jump in and we're going to talk about college football. I said we're going to start there. So without further ado, let's start there. Oh, and before I forget, I do want to say I did not give out my NFL picks on this show last week. I told you to listen to Saturday's episode of Through the Ringer. We got it out pretty darn late, unfortunately, and Nick couldn't be there. But uh, me and the Phantom Swami got that out and I went. A beautiful three for three on my picks. Just the second time this year I've done that. I stuck to my roots and I picked three games and I couldn't have nailed it any better. So I'm in I'm in the lead. I'm starting to separate myself a little bit. Um, what did I get? Another point on on uh, the Phantom Swami. Let's see. So I was up like 23-22 and I got my six points and he missed his two-pointers, so he got four points. So I got six to four. So I'm back up uh, three comfortably now, and uh, I was only up by one point. So And then Nick is in last a few points behind. So again, with that being said, let's talk some college football. So 
Two top 10 teams impressed with big wins. We'll start with number five, Washington. That was a really good game between USC and Washington. USC is just, they're taking a, a nosedive straight into the abyss, right? Um, their final year in the Pac-12, they'll be coming over to the Big Ten, and I'm looking at them, and I'm saying, oh, man, maybe maybe we do have a chance. Maybe Rutgers does have a chance against this team next year. Anyway, Washington outlasts them 52-42. to 42. This was a slugfest. We all know USC does not know how to play defense. They do not know how to play defense, so much so that USC fired defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. This week after that game, his defenses have given up 31.4 points per game, ranking 124th in the country this season. Oh, my God. And what's notable about that is the fact that Grinch is a Lincoln Riley guy. He brought him over with him from Oklahoma. So that's a detriment. That is not a good look for Lincoln Riley. And there there were clamors for him to go last year and they brought him back. So just not a good look. USC has lost four games now, I believe. So they're done. Um, we know Caleb Williams isn't winning the Heisman at this point. It looks like Michael Penix will. You, you, you've still got... Um, uh, the kid from Florida State's in the mix a little bit there. Um, I'm not sold on it, but, uh, you know, you got the Michigan quarterback as well that they're saying McCarthy is in the mix. I don't see it, J.J. McCarthy. But anyway, in the second game I wanted to talk about, you had number eight Alabama, who, let's let's be real, many have written off since that Texas loss, and they've been hanging around in that top 10, benching quarterbacks, bringing Mil Milrow back in, and they seem to have found their stride so far, and they looked mighty good. They looked damn good taking down number 14, LSU, 42-28. to 28. LSU, what's funny about them, they were starting to get some momentum. They were starting to roll. That offense was starting to really put up numbers, and nope. They just destroyed him 42 to 28. Uh, actually, Milrow, I believe, ran for a career high in this game. It, it came out of left field. He was just running all over the place. Let me let me get the exact stat line here. He was um, 15 of 23, 219 yards through the air, no touchdowns, no picks, but he ran 20 times for 155 yards and four rushing touchdowns. Oh my God. This is their quarterback doing this. So pretty remarkable stuff there so they they put a can of you know you know what uh on lsu and as for you know Jaden daniels who many are saying sh should be in the heisman conversation 15 of 24 219 yards two touchdowns one interception he did rush i mean i don't know what was going on with the with the quarterbacks in this game but he also ran for 163 yards on 11 carries and a touchdown so Add that all together, that's actually a pretty good performance. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. They've lost three games. going to be hard for him to keep his name in the conversation there. I think Michael Penix ha has it locked up just about, in, in my personal opinion. Uh, number seven, Texas beat Kansas State on a ridiculous goal line stand in overtime. This game, I don't know how it even made it to overtime because Texas, I was keeping an eye, keeping an eye on this because I had a two-team parlay going, so I wasn't watching much of this game. But um, Texas was, 
I think it was 17-0, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was 17-7, and they were up big, and then somehow Kansas State roared all the way back, sent this game to overtime, and this was how this one ended in overtime on fourth and goal. Backfield, Howard, looking, Howard, scrambles, Howard, lets it go, incomplete, and Texas survives. 33 to 30, the final in overtime. What a win for UT. Well, that sucks. That was a nice big win there for the University of Texas. And that one loss by Alabama to Texas is starting to look even better as Texas continues to impress and continues to move up in the rankings. So um, something to keep an eye out for. Um, Number 10, Ole Miss. That was one of the two teams I had bet on. They survived um, Texas A&M, Texas A&M team that for the second year in a row, I believe, had the number one recruiting class in the country and just continues to falter. And Jimbo Fisher is seriously on the hot seat. But anyway, um, they survived partially blocked field goal, 47-yard field goal as time expired. I had bet Ole Miss minus two and a half, and then I bet Florida minus two and a half at home in the swamp against Arkansas. And Florida blew a lead. They were tied. And then with like under 40 seconds, they ran down. And as time expired, they attempted a field goal of their own and they missed it wide right. I dropped both of these spreads from three to to two and a half. Could have won over $200. Freaking Florida, man. They missed the freaking field goal as time expired in the regular in in um, in the fourth quarter. uh, And. They ended up going to overtime. They couldn't move the ball. They started with the ball. They got a field goal out of it, and then Arkansas immediately went down and scored a touchdown. It was brutal. There was a hold on, like, the first play, and then they just kept going and going. There was, like, it was second and 20. They let the quarterback run for a first down. It was brutal. Anyway, it was Arkansas's, my luck, Arkansas's first win at the Swamp. Unbelievable. So that parlay of mine busted, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, next up, number 10, uh, excuse me, number 15, Notre Dame at Clemson. Okay, we all know that's a tough, tough place to play. I didn't have the gonads to put money on Clemson, even though I really wanted to. And what do you know? Clemson basically led this one wire to wire. 31-23 is your final. Um Let's face it, after Dabo's call with that kid Tyler from Spartanburg, it was that that's why I wanted to bet this because Dabo was fired up. The kid's saying, Why are you making eleven and a half million dollars? And Dabo just came with the receipts. I've won national championships. I done this, I done that. We hadn't won in 30 years since I've been here. Oh, baby, you better believe Dabo was dialed in for this one. And he gets the win. And I know he said after the game, um, you know, if you have uh Clemson stock that that thing is going up so yeah absolutely that was a huge win for them just when you think you know Dabo's falling off tapering off a little bit no he shows the world just exactly who we are and let's face it Notre Dame is frauds they've been frauds for years they're never going to get over the hump they don't play in a, a, a tough enough schedule they can't beat teams when they need to they blew it against Ohio State two back-to-back plays at the end of the game where they had 
10 men on the field instead of 11. It's just, I, I don't know what to say about them anymore. Sam Hartman's a very good quarterback, but for some reason they just can't seem to get things done. And and I'm not so sure if, um, if they're ever going to get over the hump with, with this current um, regime, you know, w- with, with um, Marcus Freeman at, at, at the helm. So I, you know, it, it's tough. I, I, I wasn't sold on him when they hired him, um, but they kind of were left in the dust when when uh, Brian Kelly just jetted to to LSU. Uh, anyway, it is what it is. They've got what three losses now themselves, I believe. So yeah, it was a weird week. Number two, Georgia. They answered the bell at home. I almost took Missouri money line live in this game. I was very high on Missouri a week ago. They were getting, what, 14 and a half, 15 and a half. That hit easily. They only lost 30 to 21, but they had a chance to win this. I want to say they threw up a, a, a pick late in the fourth with like nine minutes left on a screen pass or, or some quick flat route, and the big D lineman picked it off, um, and that was pretty much all she wrote. But they did cover the spread there. You had a great one between 22 Oklahoma State to, and um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma loses another close one, 27-24, their second straight. And unfortunately, thanks to the new realignment BS, this is probably the last edition of the Bedlam rivalry. So there's that. And then, of course, I called it exactly. I jinxed the crap out of Air Force, so I'm very sorry. They got smoked 23-3 to to a bad 3-6 and Army team. The Falcons fumbled four freaking times in this game. And guess what? It was 23-3, to it seemed like, in the third quarter or even at halftime, and they still couldn't get the over, still couldn't do it. Oh, and remember that Iowa Northwestern over-under line of 29 and a half that was the lowest in history? Well, guess what? The under hit with absolute ease. It was a 10-7 Iowa win on an absolutely mangled Wrigley Field. I don't know why they're playing on Wrigley Field. Just terrible. Uh, For context, though, tomorrow's Rutgers at Iowa game is now the lowest ever over-under point total, sitting at, it's either at 28 or 28.5 as of right now. I've seen it both. I think the most recent was 28.5, and over 60% of people are hammering the under in this one. I have not watched a lot of Iowa. I know they have a top five defense. Rutgers going into the Ohio State game had a top 10 defense. So yes, this would suggest low scoring, but there's no way in hell I could confidently bet under 28 points. That is insanity. So, you know, put my feet to the fire and I'm taking the over in this. I don't care. Um, And here's one for context, too. Of the last six lowest over under totals, Iowa owns six of them. And all six have, uh, excuse me, Iowa owns five of the six. I believe there was an, uh, a na- uh, two of the academies in there. Um, and all have come in the last year. So that's just weird. Uh, and then one quick note on the Rutgers-Ohio State game. It was a valiant effort from Rutgers. They're the first team to have a lead over Ohio State at the half this year. And they... Again, valiant effort. They had a couple trick plays. I'm going to play you one because it might have been the play of the season across the board in 
in college football. Now, I don't watch every single college football game, every single play here and there, but this one I have never seen. This was a trick play for the ages, and kudos to Rutgers for actually trying something different to get their offense going. Down 7 nothing at the like 34-yard line and uh, of Ohio State on a 4th and 1 when everyone thought it was going to be QB sneak. Take a listen to this. Nobody knew what was going on. Oh, he fumbled it. He fumbled it. And Manungai picks it up. This was a play that was set. Manungai into the open field. And Manungai inside the 15. And he's in the red zone. Igbenosin makes the tackle eventually. They worked on this heavily. Are you kidding me? Wimsit put the ball between his legs. Uh. I thought it was a fumble. Watch Wimsit. I thought he fumbled it, puts it between his legs like the old fumble Ruski. Awesome. We got Ohio State linebackers coming. Hey, receiver, get a block. Receiver blocking. <laughs> Why is he not blocking <laughs> the guy? That, look at Eichenberg go over the top. That is amazing. Wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles run that tomorrow against the Cowboys now. Seriously. That is awesome. So, yeah, there you have it. If you didn't see it, please go check it out on Twitter or X or anywhere else. It was it was phenomenal. Rutgers had a serious shot coming out in the third quarter. They they kept settling for field goals. And if the blocking was any better there by the wide receiver, Manungai takes that to the house. But um, Manungai ran all over Ohio State. It's the most rushing yards they've given up to anybody this year and Rutgers had a chance to win this game. They were driving to open the third quarter. They were almost in the red zone or right around the, the red zone with a, whatever the score was 10, nine, whatever it was going to the half. And they tried a seriously good play fake. They had um, Gavin whims at the quarterback step up like he was going to run. And then he kind of backed up. It was like the old running jump pass at the goal line that Tim Tebow used to run. Make it look like you're going to run the quarterback power and then you jump and throw it. And Gavin Wimsett tried a similar play and he tried to hit Manungai over the middle and he overthrows it. I really truly thought it should have been a hit on a defenseless receiver and they didn't call it. Instead, it gets pick sixth. And that was all she wrote for Rutgers after that. They did enter the fourth quarter down 26 to 19. Um, but Ohio State, I turned it off right at the end when Rutgers failed to convert um, going into score. And then Ohio State went down and they those sly SOBs scored. Must have been right at the end to cover. I believe it was an 18 point margin and they covered it by they won by 19. So valiant effort by Rutgers, but they come up just short. Um, but it was a fun game to watch nonetheless, because they were right in there the whole way. Okay, let's get to the NFL. The separation is starting to take place. We're now in week 10. Last week was week nine. So after nine weeks, we're starting to see some of the top, you know, float to the, t uh, some of the best teams float to the top here. And one of them is the Ravens. They to me, look like the best team in the AFC. But until they actually get over the hump and do something in the playoffs with Lamar Jackson, I can't officially you know, rank them ahead of the Chiefs at this point. But they have had some monster wins two out of the last three weeks. They, remember, they blew out the Lions, a first-place Lions team, and then they just came in on Sunday 
They were one of my picks, by the way, minus six and a half. They destroyed the first place Seattle Seahawks 37 to three, not even close. Lamar Jackson looks like the MVP of the league right now. They are balling out and they just are, they're making it work. They don't, you know, Mark Andrews hasn't really been doing too much. Um, Gus Edwards has been holding down the fort since J.K. Dobbins went down and they're just a mishmash of players are getting it done. And it's the John Harbaugh way, I guess. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Chiefs got the ball rolling in the 9.30 a.m. game in Frankfurt, Germany. They win that one 21-14 over the Dolphins. They were up 21-0 at halftime, and the Dolphins came roaring all the way back and had a final possession with a chance to tie it. I needed the Chiefs to cover um, like three points and uh, or two points and hit the over. I bet the over and the Chiefs didn't score the entire second half. So the over did not hit. I was actually banking on overtime in this game and the Chiefs winning and it just didn't happen because um, Tua, I don't know what was going on. They had like a third down and he just threw it up to nobody. Like it was a terrible like noodle arm throw. And then on fourth down with the game on the line, the snap went over to his head. It wasn't a terrible snap. I thought he could have caught it, but I don't know if it was lack of concentration or he wasn't ready for it or what, but let's just call a spade a spade. The Miami Dolphins are a fraudulent football team. They will go as far as Tua will allow them to go, which is not very far. They're just an undisciplined team. They're still a bit new. That McDaniels is a great coach, don't get me wrong, but they're still new and trying to figure things out. And I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to say that it's the Jimmy Garoppolo effect. And they will be very, very good, but they will be plagued and they will be hamstrung by their quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa or Tungavailoa. So let's just show you right here the Miami Dolphins. Let's just recap their schedule for you real quick, right? So the Miami Dolphins beat the LA Chargers 36 to 34. We we know the Chargers are an okay team. They're now four and four, but they were under 500 coming in to this Monday night game against the Jets. They beat the New England Patriots under 500. They're the worst team in the AFC right now, two and seven. They beat the Denver Broncos and scored 70 on them. And we all know the Broncos are a very bad football team, even though they've won two in a row and sit at three and five. Then things get interesting. They go to Buffalo and they get smoked by 28 points, okay? And we all know Buffalo isn't that good. They're five and four right now, and they're they're teetering themselves. Then they bounce back. They beat Carolina by 21. We all know Carolina is one and eight and is starting to seriously question whether or not they made the right choice drafting Bryce Young and trading the Bears to get that number one pick because guess what? They traded their 2024 first round pick to the Bears who beat them last night on Thursday Night Football. The Bears now own that pick, which could be the number one pick yet again. Meanwhile, C.J. Stroud is out here setting records. So I don't know. Panthers might have made the wrong choice there. Okay, so let's to, to track it. They've so far beaten. They have one, two, three, three wins in four games. And none of those wins came against a team that was 500 or uh, over 500. Like I said, the Chargers just got to 500. They lost to the Bills, who are above 500. They smoked the oh, not smoked the Giants, but they beat the Giants. Um, some controversy in that game, right? 
They beat the Giants. Then they beat, like I said, Carolina. So that's five and one. And all five are against teams below 500. Then they, they lost to the Eagles 31-17. Oh, shocker. A very good team. And then they lost to Kansas City. So you could argue that only one of their wins came against a team 500 or better. The Chargers are the only team. And that's it. This team is not very good. If you're beating up on bad teams and not able to beat good teams, well, good luck to you. And we're going to find out when the Jets play them on Black Friday and when they start to play some of these other teams if, if they can win. And here's the thing. Even if they beat my Jets, it's a, it's a home game for my Jets, so I like our chances, but I have to see what the Jets produce against Vegas on Sunday night football. If the Jets don't produce anything on Sunday night football and they lose that game, well, then all bets are off. The Dolphins should should beat the Jets because the Jets at that point will be four and five, losers of two in a row. But if the Jets win that game, get to five and four, it's a big game for the Jets um, at that point. And it's a primetime game, once again, for the third straight week, essentially. And, well, that game's in, in two weeks, actually, because the Dolphins are on bye right now. But anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is if the Jets get to 5-4 and four after beating the Raiders, and then who do we have after that? Uh, oh, we have the Bills, right? We're at the Bills. Yeah, we're, we're, we're against the Bills. So the Jets will be 5-5 five and five probably. I doubt we're going to be 6-4 and four at that point. But either way, that's going to be a test to figure out whether or not the Dolphins are for real or not. We'll see. I think they're frauds, even if they beat Rutgers. I'm, uh, excuse me, the Jets. Even if they beat my Jets, they're still frauds in my eyes because the Jets as good. And that's the other thing I want to see. I want to see Tua against this Jets defense because if this Jets offense could produce anything, we would have run away with that game on Monday night because Justin Herbert had his worst game statistically of his career. Just throwing that out there. Okay, the Eagles somehow held on to beat the Cowboys 28-23. to Man, I don't know. Something about this Eagles team, they're not clicking still, yet they have one loss to the Jets. It's unbelievable. The Cowboys dominated this game, should have won the game. Um, Jalen Hurts kind of got banged up on the knee right before half, but he seemed like he was okay. The Cowboys were driving in the final minutes, and they got the ball inside the 10-yard line. And instead of spiking the ball to get two more plays, Dak just hiked it and he had to throw it out of the back of the end zone. So they were down to one final play and then he gets sacked. It was just a whole mess. They should have easily won that game. It was poor management down the stretch. And shocker, Mike McCarthy, who I don't think is a great coach in this league, and Dak Prescott and the whole offense, they, they're just, they find a way to get, they get in their own way. They're their own worst enemy. But, was I a little surprised how close this game was? Absolutely. I thought that the Cowboys, much like the Dolphins, would find a way to get blown out by a better team than them. And they stuck in there, and that showed me a little bit of something. Luckily, I won some good money because I bet the Eagles in this one, and I needed them to win by three. So that was good news for me anyway. Uh, the Texans, man, have they found their guy? Just alluded to it a little bit earlier when talking about Bryce Young being the wrong pick for Carolina. C.J. Stroud 
took it to Todd Bowles defense. Todd Bowles is a veteran coach in this league and he knows how to coach defense. He's won Super Bowl with the Bucs. He, he, he knows what he's doing on defense. And yet somehow CJ Stroud put up a rookie record, 470 yards and five touchdowns in a come from behind win against the Bucs. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. It was unbelievable. Uh, let's see if I could find this play. So they get the ball. They're down, they're down four, I believe. So they need to go the length of the field to win the game. Um, let's see if I have that final touchdown pass. I'm on Twitter right now, so I don't want to pull up a play that um that all right, I'm not gonna play anything because but here's the point. CJ Stroud is running away with rookie of the year. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength. He's got all the tools to be great in this league. Yet somehow the Carolina Panthers drafted an undersized, skinny quarterback. They can't run QB sneaks with this guy. They can't do a whole lot. And the track record since there, there, seen, there was this shift in quarterback in drafting these smaller, undersized quarterbacks. And listen. I'm all for it. I'm five foot three and three quarters or or whatever. I, 120 pounds soaking wet, right? So I'm all for the short kings. But what I will say is Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, you know, Drew Brees, like this is what started the trend. It was really the Drew Brees. And then you got the Russell Wilson, a little bit undersized. And, you know, he wasn't drafted to be a starter and just won the job out of training camp, third round pick, whatever. And then Kyler Murray went number one and Baker Mayfield went number one. And both of these guys thus far in their young careers have been for number one picks have been busts. Let's just call it what it is. Baker Mayfield's on his what fourth team already now. And Kyler Murray hasn't played since week 14 of last year. He's going to make his debut uh, season debut uh, this weekend. So we'll see what that looks like. But the point being is if you put, I, I, I know nothing about football in theory, right? I've watched a ton of football. I like to think I know football, but I hear, I hear audio of quarterbacks, you know, in a huddle calling plays. Like I just saw before, uh, Joe Burrow calling plays in the huddle. And it, it it's a different, it's a foreign language to me. I don't know any of the stuff that he's saying. He yells the word, he yells Spielberg and F the F flat this, or this. I mean, just crazy stuff that's being, you know, yelled in, in these huddles that I have no idea about. So I don't know the ins and outs of football on that level, but I can guarantee you that from a scouting perspective and from the eye test perspective, I, I don't know what it is, right? Maybe it's just cause I'm a sports guy. I've played sports growing up. I'm a, a sports junkie, but I watch tape of some of these guys and I can see who's going to be good and who's not going to be good. And I was never a fan of Bryce Young. And I don't know if the Panthers took him because of the whole notion that Ohio State quarterbacks are not so great in this league. Well, the Alabama quarterbacks don't have such a great track record in this league either. I'm just putting it out there. Talk all you want about Tua being great and Jalen Hurts. He was a transfer to Oklahoma, don't forget, because he lost his job to Tua. Mac Jones, are we sold on Mac Jones? Absolutely not. I mean, you go back to, yeah, Joe Namath, of course, but. For the most part, not so great. Now, granted, Ohio State, not great either. But when I put the two together, I look at C.J. Stroud 
He's got the size. He just, uh, he's got the arm strength. He, he's just built. He looks like a stud back there and he can make every single throw. And so far, all I've seen from Bryce Young, granted he's on a bad team, but you can't tell me the Texans aren't as bad as the Carolina Panthers. I just think the Texans hit a home run with their, with their coaching hire of D'Amico Ryans, and I think that the Panthers fell flat on their face. I think they thought that Frank Reich is this quarterback whisperer a la, you know, Bruce Arians and can and can coach him up a, a, and get good play, and it's been brutal. I mean, before last night, a week before that, he threw two pick sixes to one Kenny Moore. So it's been brutal. I'm not yet here going to write write it off. He doesn't have a whole lot of weapons whatsoever, Bryce Young. But C.J. Stroud has got a banged-up O-line. He's got this Team 500. He's thrown for five touchdowns, 470 yards, 14 touchdowns to one interception. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? 2,270 yards. He's averaging 284 yards per game, 8.13 yards per attempt. And a 102.9 passer ratings, uh, passer rating. These are just numbers that you don't see from a rookie. It's unbelievable. His numbers are, uh, I mean, CJ Stroud right now is Tom Brady and Bryce Young is Zach Wilson at this point. That's how crazy uh, uh, the, the disparity is in these two guys' numbers. So it's unbelievable. Dico, uh, D'Amico Ryans is my uh, coach of the year. And CJ Stroud is rookie of the year, easily, without question. So it's just unbelievable. And then for the coolest story of the week, Josh Dobbs was traded midweek at the deadline from Arizona to Minnesota. So they're getting Kyler Murray back. So they're like, okay, thank you for your service. You took us to one and seven. See ya. So now Josh Dobbs is traded to Minnesota. I don't think he'll be finding his jersey in in the uh, fan shop anytime soon. Give Minnesota a couple weeks there. So he gets traded to Minnesota. Minnesota lost Kirk Cousins to an Achilles tear. They've won like three, four in a row, whatever it is. And they're playing the Falcons, a winnable game. But Josh Dobbs just got here, so he cannot start this week. He doesn't know. He hasn't practiced, no reps with the team, none of that. So Jar quarterback, a rookie quarterback, Jaron Hall, fifth rounder from BYU, is thrown in to be the starter. And within minutes... Jaron Hall tries to run for a touchdown and he gets stuffed at the one and he gets a concussion out for the game. And now Josh Dobbs is thrust into action as the only other quarterback they have. And you know what he did, ladies and gentlemen? Kept them in the game all game and then drove down the field and won the game. I mean, he was on, he was on the sideline going through his cadence with the center and the offensive line and, and working things out before he even went into the game. And then you add Kevin O'Connell, their head coach, literally in his ear the whole time, walking him through play by play, what to do, where to look and all of it. It was just an unbelievable performance. And, and I, I mean, his numbers don't lie. I mean, this guy, what he's been able to do is unbelievable. You've got Minnesota fans over here shaving their eyebrows because of this guy now. It's just unbelievable. So they're five and four and they're in the hunt. And so Josh Dobbs, final tally, 20 of 30, 158 yards, two touchdowns. He also ran for 66 yards and a touchdown. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's the story of the century. To be able to do that, 
not knowing the playbook, not knowing anything, got them at five and four after they were dead in the water. And now they're thoroughly back in this as the third and final wildcard team as of right now. It's just a great, great story. Congratulations to Josh Jobs. I wish them nothing but the best. Uh, I would like to say, try to get my man, uh, Jordan Addison, the ball a little bit more. I know Justin Jefferson might be back this week. He's being listed as questionable, but get my man Jordan Addison the ball. We're desperate for a win this week in fantasy. They've got New Orleans this week and then at Denver and Chicago. Those are all winnable games, and yes, they've won four in a row. It's just been a great story. Okay, the Giants, they're just a, they're, they're tough. The Giants are going to be dialed in with a top five pick and they could be vying for that number one pick. So they can't get out of their own way. They finally, after somehow losing that game to the New York Jets in the fashion that they did, losing Tyrod Taylor, Tommy DeVito being thrust in there, not having him, not letting him throw the ball really, and then losing in the way they did in overtime, just gut-wrenching. Well, to make matters worse, they had to go and play in Vegas against a former player of theirs, a Super Bowl champ, that is, Antonio Pierce, who was named interim head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders when the Raiders decided to fire their GM, Dave, uh, uh, um, their GM, what's the GM's name there? It's not Glazer, Glazer. Um, anyway, they fired the GM and they fired Josh McDaniels Let's see. Um, Dave Ziegler. I knew it was. I, I, okay. Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, they get fired and Antonio Pierce gets named the interim. And we all, we talked about it leading up throughout the week that interim teams coming off the firing of a coach usually win that first game. And so I was torn because mm, Giants are getting Daniel Jones back. They have Saquon. This is a weird spot, you know? And then I heard Antonio Pierce talk and the fact that this, these players love this guy and are locked in and want to win for him. Wow. I knew the Raiders were going to win this. And then it gets worse. Daniel Jones, non-contact ACL tear in the middle of this game. And guess who gets thrust back into action? The man that can't throw, Tommy DeVito. And it's just a bludgeoning. They lose to the Raiders 30 to six yikes now I'm you know wondering how my Jets are going to fare against the Raiders and Aiden O'Connell and all that hopefully the Raiders got that nice little win out of their system but it's time to lose Sunday night football the Jets will bounce back uh, I spoke about it earlier the Bengals they took down the Bills on Sunday night football, 24 to 18. Joe Burrow looks to be all the way back health-wise, that calf. Um, he was moving around very well, extending the pocket. He did have uh, his finger got a little banged up, his pointer finger on his uh, throwing hand. Just, you know, the nail fingernail kept bleeding throughout, but otherwise he was fine. The Bills, again, fought at five and four, finding themselves as of right now, they are not in the playoffs. They are outside looking in. So shocking. And then you had my Jets losing 27 to 6 on Monday night football in just one of the worst showings that I can remember. 
coming off that jet, uh, that giant win in overtime, as bad as they played, I really thought they were going to take take it to the Chargers coming from West Coast to East Coast. You know, the jet lag, all of it, and the fact that the Chargers aren't that great of a team. We held that offense in check. The problem was not five minutes into this game, we gave up a punt return touchdown and found ourselves down 7 nothing. and I think the air went out of the building and Robert Sala looked like a zombie or a shell of himself on the sidelines. And I, I didn't even know what to make of it. They couldn't get anything going. They they started driving the ball downfield. Garrett Wilson fumbles. The Raider, uh, the Chargers recover that. It was just sloppy all around. Zach Wilson fumbled twice. Everyone wants to blame Zach Wilson, and I'm freaking over it. I'm over it because it's not Zach Wilson's fault that Alan Lazard can't catch the ball. It's not Zach Wilson's fault that Garrett Wilson fumbled. It's not Zach Wilson's fault that Brees Hall is running into uh, brick walls when there's holes to be had. Now, I'm not blaming Brees Hall because he's one of the two weapons we have on this offense, but just when you need somebody to step up, it's like they couldn't get it done. Not to mention they are the most penalized team in the NFL over the last four weeks. That's on coaching. And then you have Robert Sala taking questions on the Michael K show, and he doesn't have an answer as to why they're not going to another quarterback and he was dumbfounded and stumbled and didn't have an answer so I just it's Zach Wilson's numbers were solid in this game he fumbled twice because you have Billy Turner who should not be on the field he's horrible at the right uh, tackle position thank God he's got a broken finger he's out now so we don't have to worry about him there and Bart Scott said it best I'm not going to play the clip it's a little bit long but if you go look it up Bart Scott who played a lot of years in this league and played on the Jets, he said it best. It's not just Zach Wilson's fault. You have He said it was very telling that the Jets went out and tried to trade for Mike Evans and Devontae Adams. It shows that they realize that Alan Lazard is garbage. He can't catch the ball. He's getting penalties. He's a very good run blocker. Don't get me wrong. He can block, but he's dropping passes, lack of concentration. He has one touchdown on the season through, what, nine weeks? Um, eight games it's just brutal and when somebody needs to step up they can't the Jets missed a couple of interception opportunities Michael Clemens they had a strip sack fumble opportunity he tried to pick it up instead of diving on it and he let Justin Herbert get it back there was just so many things I could point to in this game to suggest that the Jets had a lack of effort and a lack of coaching and preparedness for this game and to sit there and blame Zach Wilson is is just wrong and I'm not going to stand for it I know he missed a couple plays here and there. He he was shaky early. He missed Garrett Wilson on possibly, uh, you know, a slant route that could have maybe went to the house. But everybody else has to be held accountable. The defense showed up. That's fine. They're going to do their thing, right? But they didn't get any turnovers. They had a couple chances, and they didn't get them. And where you know your O-line is bad. Why were they not taking a page out of the Chiefs playbook? The Chiefs were using their tight ends to chip Bosa and to chip Khalil Mack, and that's why they beat them. The Jets didn't do it. The Jets had their tight ends running more routes downfield than I have seen in two years. And Uzama's dropping a touchdown at the end of the game, which was just just icing on the cake. I mean, let's just blame Zach Wilson for that throw that hit him right in the freaking numbers. It's a lack of effort. It's a lack of concentration. I don't know where 
else to point than to the coaching and to the front office and everybody in between. It is hot garbage. I know this offense was built to serve Aaron Rodgers, but at some point, it's nine weeks in now. It's nine games in, 10 weeks. You have to pivot. You have to build this offense around your quarterback that is currently running the show in Zach Wilson. What does Zach do best? He seems to run out of the pocket. And, and when he's ad-libbing, those seem to be his best plays when he gets outside the pocket. Starting of Start of the third quarter, what did Zach Wilson do? He The pocket collapsed. He rolled out left and he found Garrett Wilson for a 31-yard gain, the biggest by far of the, of the game. They faltered uh, down towards the red zone when he got sacked a couple times, but not to his fault. Nobody was open. So why are they not designing plays to get him in motion, to get him rolling out, things of that nature, easy, quick completions like that? You watch the you watch the Chiefs. They put guys in motion. You watch um, the Miami Dolphins. They're putting guys in motion. They're putting... Um, they're putting Tyree Kill in the backfield. I watched the Carolina Panthers, who are the worst team in football, in my opinion, right now. I watched Adam Thielen come out of the backfield on a little angle route over the middle. Boom, caught it for a first down. The Jets aren't doing that to get the ball to Garrett Wilson because what's happening is teams are doubling up on Garrett Wilson and they're stacking the box and saying, beat us because Lazard can't win one-on-one -on -one on man in man. And he's dropping balls. So it looks even worse now knowing that we traded Nicole Hardman back to the Chiefs because, hello, Al Lazard is not cutting it. Randall Cobb is has been out. He's not cutting it. Billy Turner not cutting. Oh, what do these guys all have in common? They come from the Green Bay Packers, and they're all Aaron Rodgers' friends. So the fact that you're still running an offense designed and built around Aaron Rodgers is the reason that this is not working. You have to build around the strengths of your quarterback, and your quarterback is not Aaron Rodgers, it's Zach Wilson. And if I don't see major changes Sunday night in another primetime game, you better believe I'm going to lose my goddamn mind, and somebody's head better roll for this. Because it's not good. This team is predicated on their defense, and they have a top-tier defense. They just can't get anything going on offense. And I'm sorry, but Joe Douglas, you've tried for two, three years now to build this O-line and you failed miserably at every turn, at every attempt. Where's Roger Saffold that you just brought in here at the trade deadline? Can we see some Roger Saffold uh, on Sunday night now that Billy Turner's out? Can we adjust this? I know Dwayne Brown won't be back. Can we put put Becton at right tackle, put... Uh, Put friggin' Saffold in there, like, at the left side. Like, do something. We gotta get something going. Godly. All right, I'm done with football. Uh, the Cubs shocked the world by hiring Craig Council as their new manager, and they paid him a boatload of cash to do it. Five years, $40 million, making him the highest paid manager in Major League Baseball which is shocking to me. Now, we all know Council was was going to leave. He didn't want to stay in Milwaukee for whatever reason. They didn't seem to have the money to pay him because uh, his contract ran out on the 31st of October. But many expected him to go to the Mets because um, of David Stearns, who was just hired as president of baseball operations there with the Mets, right? So when this news came out that he was going to the Cubs, it was not only was it shocking, it's like, hold on a second. 
I didn't realize the Cubs had a managerial opening, had a spot open. Well, they didn't. They decided to just fire David Ross just like that, which to me was a dirty, slimy, snaky move. They fired a guy that helped you break the curse, okay, and helped you win a World Series in 2016. And he was beloved, David Ross. And granted, they had a collapse in September, but no one expected them to compete. And if they didn't collapse, they were about to make the playoffs. David Ross did a phenomenal job. So the fact that they fired him like that just because they're like, oh, we see something better. We're going to go steal, um, you know, our division rivals manager. It's it was very shocking, very telling. And um, I hope, you know, David Ross gets another shot somewhere because he was they did him dirty. And let's face it, I don't know what the hype is surrounding Craig Council. I'm hearing he's going to win manager of the year, which to me is very shocking. Um, in the NL, by the way, because he he's not really done anything in the playoffs. Yeah, they, they've won the division a, a bunch. They've gone to the playoffs, but their best chance was, I want to say, like two years ago. They they blew that. Then they kind of, you know, blew it up. They traded Hater to San Diego and all sorts of different things there. So to, to me, it's just, I don't know. He was an okay player. Yeah, won a World Series in 2001. And had a crazy, crazy batting stance. That's all most people ever remember from him. And now he's making more as a manager than he ever did as a player by double, in fact. But to make him the highest paid manager in baseball and putting him in the Joe Torre, um, you know, stanchion uh, on the Joe Torre level in terms of, of, of money that he'll be making in a year, he reset the managerial market for salary. It's unbelievable. So... I, I don't know. I don't get it. And speaking of the Mets, well, they didn't get their guy in council, so they had to pivot. And who did they hire? Well, Yankees bench coach Carlos Mendoza. This is a huge L for the Mets. Now, I don't know if Mendoza is going to be good or not. Um, he did take over and manage the Yankees a bunch when Aaron Boone would get ejected. But considering the Yankees have not had a great track record themselves the last couple of years, and especially this past year, I don't know how good Mendoza is going to be, but their guy was counsel. That's who they wanted. And David Stearns, the Mets probably hired you because of your connection to counsel in Milwaukee. And the fact that you couldn't get him, that is a huge fail. Now it's obvious that counsel never wanted to come to the Mets in the first place, or maybe he did. And he was just, you know, he was jockeying for position and he was going to other teams and telling them, Hey, this is what they're offering me. You need to top this. And the the Cubs, a team that does not really spend money like that, they just spent a boatload for a manager. It's crazy. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians also hired themselves a new manager, and it might come as a bit of a surprise. It is former catcher Stephen Vogt, who just retired from his major league uh, career about a year ago. So he's going to take over for the legendary Terry Francona. He was actually the Mariners bullpen coach this past season and had the least amount of experience out of any candidate. But that seems to be the the, the new thing these days. Just hire uh, former players that have never coached really or managed at all. And it's worked in you know other sports. We've seen it in the NBA. We saw Jason Kidd get hired by the Nets coming off his career. We, we've seen different things like that. And speaking of NBA, it's a good segue. The Knicks spoiled James Harden's debut with the Clippers. Harden had 17 points, three rebounds, and six assists in 31 minutes. But they got smoked 
the Garden by the Knicks. And then two days later on Wednesday, they lost to the Nets, Harden's former team, and he was booed heavily, thank God. Um, He was even worse in 35 minutes, going 6 of 18 and 1 of 5 from 3 for just 13 points. It's still early in the NBA season, but my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, my fantasy basketball team is cooking. I'm in first place currently. I'm playing the second place guy, and I am beating him 9-2. to I might run away with this. I got Jokic. Granted, I had the number one pick, which I never get top-tier picks like this in my fantasy league, so it's about damn time that I got a number one pick in something, and so I—, I Used it wisely. I took I took Jokic, which was the easy choice. He's been the number one player in fantasy. I took Lowry Markkinen. He's been a top five, top 10 player. I took Wembenyama, who's been a top 30 player so far. He didn't play so great in his first taste at the Garden recently, but that's okay because he's still very good. And, you know, my team is just built studs. I got Bradley Beal, who's back off the IL, which I have to figure out if I'm dropping someone to play him tonight because I didn't play him the other night and he was like, okay. So I got to figure out what I'm doing in terms of Bradley Beal's situation. But anyway, let's talk a little college basketball. It's back, if you can believe it. Uh, We had our first big upset, number four, Michigan State. They lost at home to unranked James Madison, 79 to 76. The Spartans became the first top five team to lose their season opener to an unranked team since 2005 when, yep, you guessed it, Michigan State did it against Hawaii. This also marks their first November home loss since 1986 and the first under Tom Izzo. They had previously been 73-0 and under Izzo. And can we give it up for James Madison, people? They just won last night in overtime against Kent State, 113-108. to They're now 2-0, and undefeated in both football and basketball. Oh, and by the way, their soccer team just took down number one UCF. How about the week that James Madison is having? And by the way, yes, their football team is ranked and undefeated and not bowl eligible because of stupid, arbitrary NCAA rules. Boo. On the women's side of things, reigning national champs LSU, they lost their season opener to number 20 Colorado, 92 to 78. Angel Reese scored 15 points and grabbed 12 boards, but she shot just 6 of 15 from the field. LSU becomes the fourth reigning champs in women's Division I history to lose its season opener and the first since UConn in the 95-96 season. We have another update in the Connor Stallions sign-stealing saga. Okay, here we go. This is a bit juicy. Michigan because now Michigan's trying to flip the script here, right? Michigan informed the Big Ten that staff members from Ohio State, Rutgers, and Purdue shared intel on the Wolverines' signs ahead of last year's conference title game. So apparently Ohio State and Rutgers shared what they knew about Michigan's plays to Purdue ahead of their title game with Michigan. And now Michigan's like, oh, boo-hoo. That we're, see, everybody's stealing signs, right? Everybody is to blame. It's not just us. Well, this is a far cry from staffers flying to other teams' games and personally recording signals. 
totally different than Stallions, you know, showing up on the Central Michigan sideline disguised as a coach there. Okay, so totally different. And I'm hearing that the Big Ten is about to levy serious sanctions against Jim Harbaugh. News was supposed to come out today. Um, I have not heard anything yet. Oh, here we go. This was 28 minutes ago. I had Do Not Disturb on. Here we go. This is breaking news. Big Ten banned Jim Harbaugh from the sideline from Michigan's final three games. The Big Ten announced Friday that it has today suspended Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh for the remainder of the college football regular season in the wake of the school's ongoing sign-stealing scandal. It says the University of Michigan has been found in violation of the Big Ten sportsmanship policy for conducting an impermissible in-person scouting operation over multiple years, resulting in an unfair competitive advantage that compromised the integrity of competition. Harbaugh can coach the team in practice during the week, but won't be able to coach for its matchups against number 10 Penn State, Maryland, and number one Ohio State. Harbaugh was disciplined by the conference less than 24 hours before they play number nine Penn State in their toughest matchup of the season so far. His team, 9-0, has a shot to win a third straight Big Ten title and the school's first national championship since 97. Um, I'm not sure if this this doesn't seem to say anything about the playoffs. Should they make the college football playoff? Will he be allowed back to coach? I don't know. Um, my guess is yes, because it doesn't say anything about the CFP or the playoffs in general. But yeah, now his second three-game suspension of the season. Am I shocked? No. Do I believe that it is his fault? No. Do I think he knew about this? No, because Connor Stallions through lawyers said that no one else on the staff knew of this or had any part in this, but they're out to get Jim Harbaugh. They've been out to get Jim Harbaugh and he's the head coach. He's the head man in charge. And this happened under his watch. So he should have known about it and therefore pay the price. It's going to be tough to overcome now. Okay, the Dallas Cowboys made an interesting move. They signed Martavis Bryant. Remember that name? Well, Bryant, who last played in the NFL in 2018, was just reinstated from a five-year suspension for multiple violations of its substance abuse policy. Now, whether the 31-year-old has any impact or not remains to be seen. I don't really think the Cowboys need wider receiver depth, so I'm a little surprised by this, but maybe they think they need him. The Rams also made an interesting move, signing Carson Wentz to bolster their quarterback depth chart. They saw enough of uh, Brett Rippon on Sunday that he is now gone. He was just signed, actually, to the Seattle Seahawks practice squad. Uh, this is Carson Wentz's fourth team in four seasons, by the way, and it also points to Matthew Stafford likely missing more time. The Rams have... Uh, a buy this week. So if Staff Stafford can't go, this makes a whole lot of sense. Bring in Carson Wentz. He'll learn the system, get some reps in on the bye week, and then be ready to go. Other quarterback news. Will Levis has officially been named the Titans starting quarterback moving forward. Tannehill had been out the previous couple of weeks due to an ankle injury, but now that he is back healthy, I think he's back. He will be the number two option behind Will Levis, a move nobody's really upset about at all. Will Levis has been very good through two games. The Carolina Panthers 
Speaking of, they signed Blake Martinez to their practice squad. Remember Blake Martinez? Well, he was one of the best linebackers in football when he abruptly retired just four games into the season with the Raiders last year at the age of 28. He then made headlines by starting a Pokemon trading card business, which racked up $11 million in in just one year last year. Well, over the course of the past year. Oh, my God. However, just three months ago, he was accused of scamming customers in that very business he was involved in. Um, and listen, he's back. He doesn't really want to answer questions about that. We'll see if he makes an impact. But um, he retired last November. I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but he sold, he retired about a week after selling a Pokemon card for $672,000 via auction. So, and then he said he was going to do this business, but I, maybe he sees the writing on the wall that he's got to get out because that business is going down the tubes because uh, of the whole scamming situation. I'm sure he brought in partners and different people, and I'm sure he's not the reason that this all happened and the Panthers wouldn't have signed him if that was the case. But when Panthers linebacker Shaq Thompson broke his leg in week two and was lost for the season, Panthers linebacker coach Peter Hansen, who was Martinez's position coach at Stanford, called him up to gate to gauge his interest in returning to football. And Blake Martinez said, yeah, I, I want to come back. Let me, you know, think about this. He started working out near his home in California and trained in front of the Panthers on October 25th. The Saints started to actually show some interest in him as well, so the Panthers pounced and signed him to the practice squad. So there you have that. All right, let's talk a little baseball real quick. The GM meetings were in full swing in Scottsdale this week until 30 executives came down with what they initially thought was food poisoning, but it actually turns out it was some sort of virus and the rest of the meetings had to be canceled. But before they were canceled, Brian Cashman, we got this gem of an uh, of uh, an interview with Brian Cashman talking, not really an interview, but he's being questioned by the media and he kind of goes off um, about the young talent and the evaluation and basically everything organizationally with the New York Yankees. This is just priceless. You're making well, a point on behalf of others. young players come up and succeed in the major leagues. Am I missing the young players who are coming up who with are the Yankees. offensively succeeding in the major leagues? So so you're saying that we, we can't produce major leagues? I'm not saying you can't. I'm asking, you described it as indisputable. I'm asking you where, like, the, ultimately. But you, but the, the example you want to say right now is is Volpe, I guess, and Cabrera. Those are the Herrera, two, right? Herrera, Peraza. Like, if they were performing, they would have kept getting more at-bats. They didn't perform. And they didn't. But Peraza's not getting everyday reps. Right. He's got Glaber. He's got Volpe now. He's got LeMayhew. Prior to that was Donaldson. There was not a lane for him to even play. So I don't even know why you used Peraza. Well, these are your young players. I understand that, but he's got to have a spot to play for you to be able to use well, his name. Well, if he would have hit, he would have played more. He didn't hit, so he didn't play more, right? Well, where's he going to play? Well, if he hit, he would have played. Who would he, if he hit? Like, is Abbott Costello. Uh -huh. If he hit, who's he taking out? LeBayu at third? Is he taking out Volpe at short? Is he taking out Labor Torres, right, who was you, one of the best second basemen in the American League last if year? If you want to win, you're going to play the guys who are hitting. If he hit, he would have played, right? I guess if he hit better than Volpe, he would have played shortstop, and he would have won the thing out of spring training. But Volpe won it out of spring training. I think it's a stupid discussion that we're having, personally. I think our player development system, all that matters from my end to you is, I think our player development system does a great job. You don't, you're questioning whether it does. That's your job to do. 
proof will be in the pudding. Let's see how. So, so if Volpe kinds up crushing it this year, are you going to be like, hey, I guess they, I guess their development system does produce haters. I, re I reviewed I don't the know. movies in front of me. The movies this year weren't good. Okay, if so the then movies are good so next year. We'll have a different discussion. All right, right? And, uh, then I'll then then I can hear you say, you know what? Remember last year? I look forward to that. Yep. I look forward to you telling me that when Volpe crushes it offensively this year for us, that you'll say, hey man, I guess your development program did a good job. Thank and you. it was just uh, it was just sea legs under him his first maiden voyage year with not much triple Andrews belt. I mean, I feel it's pretty basic. So Brian Cashman with a bomb right there, um, basically saying that this guy would not have played if he was hitting, which is absolute asinine. It's asinine. So you're telling me this, and this is the problem that I've had with the New York Yankees over the last bunch of years. They are signing old injured players. They did it with Frankie Montas. They burned $50 million by bringing in Josh Donaldson, who everybody knew wasn't good. They signed they signed Aaron Hicks to that brutal seven-year deal, which I knew was a joke because he couldn't stay healthy. I just did the. the I could go on and on with the the moves they they made that just were not good. Remember when they brought Sonny Gray in here? How'd that work out? He's gone, and then he's practically winning the you know Cy Youngs over there in Minnesota, and, and when he was with the Reds and everything else, just great. Once he leaves here, and then you traded Jordan Montgomery away for Harrison Bader, who then you got rid of anyway this year for nothing. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, what's he do? Goes like 3-0 and against the uh, Houston Astros and helps them win a World Series there in Texas. So move after move after move, uh, Cashman just sticks with the old guys, his analytics department, his scouting department. I don't know what it is, but their talent evaluators are majorly wrong and have had some serious swings and misses on guys like especially Donaldson and Montas are the two big ones that come to mind. And then not to mention you had Severino signing. He's always hurt. Uh, it's just time after time after time. So the fact that he's going to sit here and say that some of the, these young guys, if they're hitting, they're not going to play. I mean, seriously, don't, do you want to win games or don't you? Uh, it, to me, it's just, it, it's crazy. And I know that Cashman is saying these things because he doesn't care what the fans think. He probably knows the fans hate him, but he has the Steinbrenners in his back pocket. He's like another Steinbrenner. He's a family member. Hal is not going to fire him. His job is secure so he can say whatever the hell he wants. And he doubled down on this Volpe thing, man, because Volpe is not a good... Uh, is not a major league hitter at this stage in his career. Congrats, he won He won the gold glove, you know, rookie, first Yankee rookie to win the gold glove, first shortstop since Derek Jeter, all that good stuff, right? I don't think he should have won it, but by sheer volume and, and these saber metrics and, and these, ex, you know, these crazy analytical numbers, right, that we didn't used to look at, these advanced like saber metrics that were not a thing 10 years ago, even. So he wins the gold glove. Great. But he's a very pedestrian, if not below average um, hitter in, in this league. And this man is doubling down and saying, Oh, you know, when he has a good year next year and you better hope he has a good year next year, because if he it bats 200 again next year and the Yankees are eh, okay. And he doesn't play the shortstop that he played this year. Because he did make 17 errors, ladies and gentlemen, 17 errors. But he won the gold glove on sheer opportunities. He had more balls hit to him than all other shortstops. It was 
sheer volume, and I guess defensive runs saved technically. That's the reason he won the award. So overall, his rookie year wasn't good. It was it was like okay. So the fact that he's doubling down and thinks that Volpe is just so good and everything, it's a little shocking. But listen, Yankees better step up and better do something next year because I'm sick and tired of these other teams coasting past us. Okay, back to college basketball. Bill, Bill Self signed a new contract with Kansas this week, making him the highest paid coach in men's college basketball. That previously went to John Calipari with Kentucky. The deal is worth around $53 million over five years. If you remember back in April of 2021, Bill Self signed a lifetime contract with Kansas, and it was in rolling five-year increments. So every you know, five years or so, they can renegotiate. And that's basically what they did. And let me tell you, it's a steal for Kansas because Bill Self is undoubtedly one of the top five best college basketball coaches, point blank, period. He has a 581 and 132 record and eight Big 12 titles. Oh, and by the way, two national championships in this, his 21st season. They open as the number one team in the land. They won their first game and they're just rolling. So with the news, back to the NFL, with the news that Tommy DeVito will start this week in place of the injured Daniel Jones, it marks a new record. DeVito will be the 10th rookie quarterback to start a game this season, by far the most we've seen in a season since 1950. And not counting Tommy DeVito, there have been 46 quarterbacks to start a game this year, 14 of whom did not begin this year as a starter. And the quarterbacks are getting younger. This year's week one starters were the youngest in league history since 1957. And it's got me wondering, no wonder scoring is way down this year with unders hitting at a above 60% clip. That could have a lot to do with it. Um, I spoke about the Angels and Mets and Cubs hiring new managers, or excuse me, the the Guardians, while the Angels have hired themselves a new manager, it will be 71-year-old Ron Washington. He will be the club's fourth skipper in the past five years. He took Rangers teams to consecutive World Series as their manager back in 2010 and 2011 and won a World Series as the Braves' third base coach in 2021. Now, let's be real. Ron Washington did have some substance abuse issues, but he is absolutely a savant of the game, and he is a great hire for sure, and he's put all that stuff back in the past. Whether he can pull this cursed franchise out of the doldrums, well, that's another story. They haven't been to the postseason, uh, you know, since Mike Trout has been here, so he's got his work cut out for him. Um, two college football players have been suspended for the remainder of the season. Iowa defensive tackle Noah Shannon and Iowa State tight end Deshaun Hanica will not continue playing this season. Both players apparently bet on their school's basketball teams, which is against NCAA policy. And uh, let's talk about last night's Thursday night football game. Not much to really talk about. It produced a shockingly Bad game on Prime last night. Bears, two and seven Bears versus the, you know, uh, one and or two and eight Bears maybe versus the one and seven Panthers. 
yeah, two and seven Bears hosting the one and seven Panthers. And it was about, it went as expected, right? The Panthers got the scoring going with a nifty little punt return touchdown in the first quarter, but that would be the last time they found the end zone. They actually had a 10-9 halftime lead, and there was even yet there was even less scoring in the second half. Uh, Deontay Foreman got the Bears on the board in the third quarter, gave them the lead with a rushing touchdown against his former team. That was the anytime touchdown bet that I should have taken um, instead of the other bets that I took. I needed over 33 and a half points and Panthers plus seven and a half and it couldn't hit. Uh, the Panthers did cut the lead to three with a field goal in the fourth and then were driving with the chance to tie or take the lead when Frank like Frank Reich just lost me. So first off, they're on their own 20. It's a fourth and one. They know they got to go. They get they they go for it on fourth and um, they do a rollout with Bryce Young. Nobody's open. So he runs for a first down. Boom. Then at the two minute warning around the 50 yard line, they have a fourth and two. They go for it. They complete a pass to Miles Sanders out of the backfield, converted that one. Well, then they get themselves in a predicament. Um. Bryce Young almost throws an interception over the middle. The linebacker he thinks is blitzing. He backs out, almost picks it off. Incomplete. They have a third and 10. Frank Reich calls timeout. We're under two minutes, people. That timeout, if you don't get this first down, you, the game's over now. So they call the timeout. Incomplete over the middle. It, if he completes that pass, it was dropped. It was knocked away. Probably should have been caught. Then you set up like a fourth and three, fourth and four situation. Give yourself a chance to go for it or even set up like a 50, I don't know, 55, 54 yard field goal, whatever it would have been there. So they don't get that. Now it's fourth and 10. So you have to go for it, right? No. Frank Reich calls on Eddie Pinero for the 59 yard field goal. Eddie Pinero, Pinero can't make a 59-yard field goal. I know that. The whole world knows that. So what are you doing? Frank Reich brings him out, and guess what? Eddie Pinheiro is short on the field goal. No shot it was going in, and I think he pulled it left. So now the Bears take over, run it on first down, timeout. Run it on second down, timeout. Well, Bears are now, all they have to do is run it, right? Maybe, maybe the Panthers get the ball back with a couple seconds if they punt. Well, no, it's third down. You have a rookie quarterback out of Shepherd University Division II in West Virginia that went undrafted, by, by the way. And instead, the Bears decide to throw the ball. They complete a first down pass to DJ Moore, but my God, that would have been bad if they did not complete that. So then they take the knees and run it out. This just proved to me these are two bad teams coached by two bad head coaches. Matt Eberflus is just, I don't know what to make of him in, in, in Chicago. They're just bad all around. And then, you know, they've had coaches resigning and being fired all year. And then Frank Reich, I think he was brought in to be this Bruce Arians type of quarterback whisperer with Bryce Young. And I just, I, I don't see it. I didn't see it in Indianapolis. I don't see it here. I don't think Frank Reich is a good coach. I just don't. So, yeah, there you have it. The Panthers survived this one 16 to 13, and they improved to three and seven. Okay. We have saw a great slate of, of games this weekend, starting with 
NFL. You've got New England versus Indianapolis. That game is at 930 from Frankfurt, Germany on NFL Network. I'm hearing reports that Bill Belichick could possibly be fired after this game should they lose. That, to me, would be shocking. I don't see Robert Kraft doing that. I don't know, but that would be completely shocking if that were to happen. I don't see how that could happen. I, I believe they just signed him to an extension. So I don't know. I don't know why that, that is being reported, but it is. You've got Cleveland at Baltimore. That's on Fox at 1 p.m. I need Baltimore to smash Cleveland because Cleveland is in front of the Jets right now. The entire AFC North, if the season ended today, is in the playoffs. Go figure. You have San Fran Cisco coming off a bye and three straight losses at Jacksonville at 1 p.m. That's going to be a tough game. We all know how hot it can get in Jacksonville. I don't real I don't know the spread on that game, but I, I I'd lean towards Jacksonville at the moment. New Orleans at Minnesota. Let's continue this Minneapolis miracle of a season. They've won four straight. Josh Dobbs has had a week to prepare. I know New Orleans is starting to gain some momentum. They're leading the NFC South there, but this would be a big game for both teams. Give me Minnesota. You have Detroit at uh, LA against the Chargers. That's a four o'clock game on CBS. Detroit, baby. They're coming off a bye of their own. Give me Detroit. Chargers, nice little win. I also just need them to lose for the Jets' sake, so give me the Detroit Lions. And then Sunday Night Football, my Jets at Las Vegas, 8-20 on NBC. Call me crazy, whatever you want, give me the Jets. I really like the Jets in this spot. I want to say the Jets are actually favored by a point or two in this game as of the last time I saw this. Um... Yep, the Jets are minus one on the road against Vegas. So even Vegas likes the New York Jets. So to me, I'm buying in. I like that. I like it a lot. Uh, you've got the in-season NBA tournament continuing tonight with my Brooklyn Nets at Boston. That'll be on ESPN at 7.30. You've got the LA Clippers at Dallas at 8.30. I don't think that's on any uh, national networks anywhere, but the Clippers still looking for that first win with... um. James Harden, you've got a good one tonight. L.A. Lakers at Phoenix at 10 p.m. Like I said, Bradley Beal, this will be his second game back. The Lakers are 0-5, I believe, on the road coming into this game. So, you know, not a good look for them. Uh, let's see if they can finally get a win on the road. And then college football Saturday. Tomorrow we've got number three Michigan at 10 Penn State. That's at 12 p.m. on Fox. That's obviously a big headline now that Jim Harbaugh will not be on the sidelines there. You've got number 18, Utah, at number 5, University of Washington, at 3.30 on Fox. Number 13, Tennessee, at number 14, Missouri. That's at 3.30 on CBS. USC at 6, Oregon. That's the late game on Fox at 10.30 p.m. And one final note. Uh, Giannis dropped 54 points last night in a losing effort against the Pacers. In doing so, he became the first player in NBA history to lose a game with 50 points on 75% shooting and 10 rebounds in a game. How crazy is that? So yeah, a lot going on. Crazy. And then finally, on this day in sports, 
let's flash it back to 2018. Um, we had the Bedlam rivalry, right? I talked about it earlier. Oklahoma State got the better of Oklahoma this year. Well, on November 10th, 2018, Oklahoma State failed on their two-point try in the closing minutes, and the Oklahoma Sooners prevailed 48-47 to to win that game. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I came in just about an hour and 20. Hope you enjoy the weekend. If there's anything I missed, let me know. Tune in once again tomorrow on Through the Ringer. You will get my NFL picks against the spread. I went three for three last week. Let's keep the momentum going. I gave you a hint. I like Detroit in that game there. I also like my Jets. I don't know if those are going to be some of my picks, but I'd be confident in betting those games. Um, New England versus Indy, that's an interesting one. I'd lean toward Indy, but I'm not. Uh, the, the Patriots are not a team I like or want to bet on. I like Baltimore a little bit there. Told you I kind of like Jacksonville. So there you have it. Um, with that being said, I'm trying to play some Call of Duty tonight because the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 came out today. I'm in the process of installing it. It's 220 gigabytes plus all these platform packs. It's taking a god darn century to install. So um, hopefully I get that up and running. And then, uh, I don't know, just watch and enjoy some college football this weekend. Uh, Rutgers versus Iowa. I really hope it it's not under 28 points because that would just be some brutal football. Uh, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the weekend. I am the Pody signing off. Once again, happy Veterans Day to all.